We open our Bibles to Proverbs 16 this afternoon. Text for the sermon will be verses 18 and 19. Proverbs 16, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. A just weight and a balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. He that laboreth laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor, and leadeth him into the way that is not good. He shutteth his eyes to devise froward things. Moving his lips, he bringeth evil to pass. The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. He that is slow to anger is better 
than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The text we consider this afternoon is verses 18 and 19. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, pride goeth before a fall. I think we have all heard that expression before, and probably most of us have used that expression on occasion. Sometimes we say those words in a kind of a light-hearted manner when somebody is strutting around like a peacock or boasting that He is going to be successful, and he will surely win, and he will no doubt be the victor. And sometimes we might say to a person, don't forget, pride goeth before a fall. But we're saying that in a light-hearted kind of manner. But really there is nothing light-hearted about the truth of our text. The truth of the text expresses a very dreadful reality. Pride goeth before destruction. Pride went before the fall of man in the beginning. The fall of man into death, into hell, and into ultimate destruction. Even the world around us who do not know the scriptures have a sense of the truth of our text. The ancient Greeks in their philosophy and mythology, would speak about a hubris nemesis cycle in which if a man would commit hubris or a prideful act, the gods would bring nemesis or a kind of punishment. So the Greeks recognized or sensed the truth revealed in our text. Eastern religions have what they call the law of karma, And they, too, seem to have a sense that if a person behaves proudly, then that cause will lead to this automatic effect of bad karma, which may be some kind of a fall, some kind of a misstep. Even Western peoples in our nation who have departed far from Christianity and who don't read their Bibles anymore still retain a sense that it's good to be humble and it's bad to be proud. But as Christians, we know this and ought to know this better than anyone. Pride goes before a fall. As Christians who read our Bibles, we know that pride is a wretched sin. We know that God hates pride. We know that we ought not to be proud. We read in Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first of those seven things that are listed is a proud look. 
A proud look is an abomination to the Lord. In Proverbs 8, verse 13, we read, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What evil, you ask? Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. And in the chapter we read, Proverbs 16, verse 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So we're going to consider this grievous sin this afternoon. We're going to see how it manifests itself in ourselves. And we're going to be driven once again to Christ, our humble Savior. Pride goeth before a fall. Notice first the pride that arises within. Secondly, the falling that follows pride. And finally, the humility that is always better. The truth of God's word that we find in our text is that pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. What is pride? We all have a sense of what pride is, but how would you define pride? And if you would study the scriptures, how would you explain what pride is? If we study the scriptures, we might define pride this way. Pride is the sin of making myself my God. The sin of exalting myself within my heart, which sin gives rise to boasting about myself, glorying in myself, and expecting others also to praise me and to recognize my greatness. The word for pride in the text, the original Hebrew word, means exaltation. Sometimes that word is used in a positive sense to refer to God, the exalted one. But sometimes it is used in a negative sense, as in our text, to refer to pride. The word haughty spirit in the original, the word haughty, has the idea of being high or being lifted up. That is, having the idea or attitude that you are high and lifted up above others. So that pride is the sin of exalting ourselves in our hearts, in our spirits, so that we have a haughty spirit. We have an attitude inside us in which we think highly of ourselves, or as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 12, we think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. We are lifted up. We are puffed up. We think that we are someone great, and therefore we look down on others condescendingly as those who are inferior to us. This is a sin against the first commandment of God's law, in which God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Pride is the sin of making myself my God. It's a form of idolatry. What God commands us to do, and what we ought to do, is to remember always that we are little specks of dust that God has created on this earth. Tiny creatures made of dust who have received everything that we have from God and that God alone is exalted, that God alone is high and lifted up and glorious 
and that God alone deserves all praise. What we ought to be doing is with the psalmists, Psalm 21, verse 13, saying, Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength, so will we sing and praise thy power. Or Psalm 57, verse 5, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, let thy glory be above all the earth. That's what we ought to be doing. But pride is the sin of turning away from God, of refusing to give glory to God, of ignoring God and setting myself up in the place of God, exalting myself, lifting up myself, and puffing myself up. Pride is just a refusal to recognize the fact that I'm a creature and that God is God, that God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth and all creatures, and that I am just a tiny little human being, just one among billions on this earth, that I am small and God alone is great. It's a refusal to acknowledge that God reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords over all things in the whole of the universe and has given me everything that I have my body, my soul, my opportunities, my wealth, and everything, so that instead I exalt myself. I boast about my strength and my success, and I feel that I am entitled. I might not say it, but I feel deeply inside me that I'm entitled to the praise and the recognition and the attention of other men. That's pride. Pride first appeared in heaven, in the heart of one of the most exalted of all the angels, one of the most powerful and beautiful of all the angels. That angel became proud of his own power and his own beauty, and he became exalted within his heart at the thought of his greatness, so that he said, according to Isaiah 14, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will be like the Most High. But when he boasted and exalted himself in pride, God cast him down to the earth out of heaven. And that angel entered into a serpent in the Garden of Eden. So that pride first entered the world here on earth, there in the garden. When Satan in the serpent came and tempted Eve, who then tempted Adam, to think that God was tricking them regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan said to her, God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Adam and Eve, it could be argued, their first sin was pride. Their sin was that they saw that fruit and they wanted to be as God. They wanted to be gods, deciding for themselves what is good and evil. But God cast them down when they sinned. The Bible gives us the history of pride, just as it gives us the history of so many other things. The Bible shows us so many men and women 
who were proud. There is in Genesis that awful Lamech, the terrible, who boasted after he killed a man. He boasted to his two wives, I have killed a man to my hurt and a man who has injured me. He boasted of his revenge. Then there was the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who as he looked around him at his beautiful, powerful kingdom, he boasted in pride about the kingdom that he had achieved and built by his own strength and power. There was the pride of King Herod, who when he was sitting on his throne and the men of Tyre and Sidon came to him, they were cheering and they were shouting and they began to say, it is not the voice of a man that we hear, but the voice of a God. And Herod basked in the praise and glory of those men. But scripture also shows us many men who were godly, believing men who fell into the sin of pride. We think of King David, who at the height of his power decided he wanted to number the people of Israel in order in pride to know how great his numbers were, how great his armies were, how powerful the kingdom that he built really was. There was the pride of godly King Hezekiah, one of the best kings in the history of Judah. But when he was sick and then he recovered, and the king of Babylon sent messengers to congratulate him on his recovery, Hezekiah showed off his kingdom to those messengers. He showed them his palaces, his treasuries, his armories. In his pride, he boasted. Then there was Peter, who when the Lord Jesus said, all of you will be offended and scattered this night, Peter said, Lord, I will never be offended. And Jesus said, before the cock crows thrice, you will deny me twice. And Peter said, I will die with you, but I will never deny you. He said that in pride, spiritual pride. We too are proud by nature. Each one of us is inclined to pride by nature. And we still have in us as Christians an old man of sin, We still have in us a corrupt flesh which is characterized by wicked pride and which is constantly battling against the new man to drag us down into pride. We can be proud about our noble birth and ancestry, about the family that we come from so that we boast about who we are by birth. We can become proud about our natural good looks or our natural talents, things that we did not accomplish of ourselves, but were simply given to us by birth, and yet we can boast and be proud about those natural gifts. We can become proud about noteworthy accomplishments we've made in our lives, achievements that we've done in our business, or in the church, or in academia, or in many other spheres of life so that we become puffed up in ourselves about our accomplishments with our own hands and by our own hard work. We can become proud about the vast accumulation of wealth that we have been able to do in our lives, 
or the vast accumulation of knowledge. We know what Paul says about knowledge. Knowledge has a tendency to puff us up so that the more knowledge, intelligence we have, the prouder we become. The pride is that in all of these things, in our hearts, we begin to think that we are godlike. We begin to think of ourselves as great, as someone important, as someone significant and glorious. And we puff ourselves up. And we think that we are entitled to praise and to recognition and to attention. We are entitled to advancement and to promotion. We do not think that we have any need of others. We do not think that we need help from others. We do not think that we have any weaknesses that we have to admit. We don't think that we have to learn from anybody else. We don't think we have to listen to anybody else. That's all pride. But we can not only be proud in terms of earthly things, we can also become proud in the spiritual and religious realm. And that's perhaps a more dreadful and a more dangerous kind of pride. We can be proud like the Pharisees were proud. And we can become proud in that regard on a personal level, first of all. We can tend to think of ourselves as being righteous in ourselves. And we would never say that because we've learned in church that we're not righteous in ourselves. We've learned to at least pay lip service to the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of depravity and corruption, and at least to admit that we have an old man of sin. But then when it comes to our personal sins, when it comes to our own selves and being able to state what my personal sins, weaknesses, flaws, and failures are, sometimes we find ourselves coming up short, unable to say what our sins even are. And then we can become like the Pharisee in the temple, the publican afar off, and the Pharisee standing tall, saying, Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners and murderers and adulterers and unjust and homosexuals and people of all different kinds of wicked deeds. I'm not like those people. I don't do those things. I am not a sinner or like this publican here. We can be like that. And the next step is that we begin to think in our hearts, whether we think it out loud, as it were, or whether it's just a deep feeling and conviction that we are better than other people, that we are spiritually and morally better than those ungodly people around us out in the world who are lost in all manner of sins and evils. Or we can even become proud that we are better than others in the church. In our pride, we can point out the proud people in the church. We can point out the Pharisees in the church. We can think to ourselves, well, I'm not like those Pharisees. At least I'm not like that. At least I know that I'm a sinner and I can tell you what my sins are. 
And then the irony is that we become proud of our humility, which is no humility at all, but just another form of pride. Pride means that we begin to trust ourselves. We trust our instincts. We trust our powers, our intellect, our willpower. We trust our opinions. We develop such a confidence in ourselves that we can hardly imagine that we could be wrong on something. That someone else could be right and I could be wrong. That my opinion might actually not be true. That it might actually be false. We can't imagine, we can't fathom such a thing. That's pride. That's thinking of ourselves as if we are gods. Because only God is right 100% of the time. Only God is true and righteous and pure and perfect. Like the Pharisee, we can sometimes think that our actions are righteous. So that if someone ever comes to us and suggests that maybe what we did wasn't right, we get immediately defensive. Our immediate reaction is to defend ourselves, to assume that what we did was right and righteous, and that this person is just out to get me. That's all pride. And that kind of pride, you see, that leads us to think that we have no need of repentance, just like the Pharisees. That we have no need of forgiveness. The blatant form of pride says, I don't even ask for forgiveness because I don't need forgiveness. Why would I ask for forgiveness if I don't need it because everything I do is good and right? That's gross Pride, and it's an abomination to the Lord. Pride leads us to think, ultimately, that we don't need salvation. That we can, by our own righteousness, by our own works, and maybe we don't even think it, but it's there in our souls. We trust in ourselves that we can work our way to heaven by our own strength. And so we don't need Christ. That's pride of the worst sort. can also have spiritual and religious pride in regard to the church that we are a member of. We can become proud of our church. We can become proud of our denomination. We can become proud in this sense that we think that our church and our denomination is the best. It is better than all other churches. And that our church, our church doesn't go wrong. In our theology, everything is good, everything is right. All of our writings, all of our books, all of our theologians, all of our ministers, all of our ecclesiastical assemblies, they couldn't possibly go wrong because they're ours. That's pride. It is not pride to take a bold stand for the truth, and that's not what I'm saying. It's not pride to recognize this is the truth and to have a conviction about that truth. Nowadays, even if you have a conviction about what is the truth, you are considered pride, a proud, 
often. That's not true. To have a bold, firm conviction of faith about what is the truth of the gospel is not pride. And to take a stand for that truth and to defend that truth and even to condemn heresies is not pride. When we make confession of our faith, we make a promise that we will hold to this doctrine and reject all heresies that are repugnant to it. And it's not pride to do so. But it is pride to think that I and my church and my denomination would never countenance heresies of that sort. That there is no way that such heresies could exist in our walls. That there is no way that such gross sins could be in our midst. To think that all of the evils, the heresies, all the bad things, those are in the other churches. Those are in the apostatizing churches. Those are in the false churches, but surely not in our church. It's pride to think that. We're going to come back to that. But that's what pride is. Now, pride is a sin of the heart. And therefore, you can't see it unless it expresses itself. And we have seen that it does express itself because of the six or seven things that the Lord hates. The first one is a proud look. There's such a thing as a proud look in which the pride that is hidden within us comes out through our face. It shows itself in our eyes, in the way we curl our lip. That's an abomination to God. There's such a thing as proud words, that we express the pride of our hearts, whether knowingly or unknowingly. It flows through our mouths in proud and arrogant words. There's such a thing as proud deeds, in which we look down condescendingly on those we deem to be inferior to us, and we treat them as if they are inferior. But since pride is a sin of the heart, sometimes it just lurks in the heart, hidden from view. Now, the teaching of our text is that pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. God is warning us through this proverb about the end of pride. He's warning us about where pride leads us to. He's teaching us that the consequence of pride is a fall, a falling, destruction. The word for destruction in the text means literally breaking into pieces. It carries the idea of shattering something, of destroying it. The word for a fall means a stumbling. It places before our minds a person who trips and then stumbles and ultimately falls to the ground and gets hurt. Pride goes before a shattering, a breaking, and a haughty spirit before a stumbling and a falling. We have to understand that this is not due to some hubris nemesis cycle like the ancient Greek pagans thought, nor is it due to some law of karma like the Eastern religions think, that there's just built into the universe 
a cause and effect that if you are proud, then you will fall. It's not like that. It's not just an automatic thing. It is the judgment of God. That's what that fall is. It's the punishment of God, the chastening of God, whichever the case might be. When a man exalts himself, when he is puffed up in his heart, when he boasts about himself and walks around swaggering as if he has no no mistakes, no wrongs, then God will break him in pieces. God will shatter him. And he will do that so that he has no more reason to boast. When a woman has a haughty spirit and boasts about herself, whether it's about her good looks or whether it's about her charm or whether it's about her talents, and the Lord will cause her to stumble and fall. And she might fall eternally into hell. She will fall into shame and disgrace. In Proverbs 11, verse 2, we read, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. That's another way of putting it. In Proverbs 29, verse 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. We go back to those examples of pride that we mentioned earlier, and we see that Scripture not only tells the story of pride, but it also tells the story of how God causes the proud to stumble and fall. Think of old wicked Lamech, who took two wives and boasted when he murdered a man. What happened to Lamech, and what happened to his generation? They were all swept away in the flood. Or think of Nebuchadnezzar when he stood, stood tall and proud in Babylon, boasting of his kingdom. This kingdom which I have built, he said. We read in Daniel 4 that God abased him. God brought him low so that he literally changed into a wild animal with long claws and fur. And he dwelt among the beasts of the field for a time. And Nebuchadnezzar, that great king, was forced in the end to acknowledge in Daniel 4, verse 37, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Think of wicked Herod sitting on his throne and the men of Tyre and Sidon heaping praise upon him. This is not the voice of a man, but the voice of a God. And as he basked in that praise, God sent his angel to strike him with worms so that right then and there worms ate his body and he died. Those were judgments of God on those wicked men, which plunged them into the everlasting destruction of hell. But as we saw, even godly men fell into the sin of pride, and God chastened them. God does not destroy his people when we commit the sin of pride, but he does chasten us. When we read about David numbering the people in his pride, we don't read that God let him go in his ways. We don't read that God destroyed David in hell. But we read that God came to David and gave him three options. You're going to suffer, David, for this sin of pride. And now choose these three judgments. 
And in the end, what happened was that God sent a grievous pestilence on Israel that killed thousands and thousands of people. So that David's sin of pride and numbering the people came before a fall in which the number was diminished. We think of Peter boasting that he would never do such a dreadful thing as forsake the Lord and deny him. But in his pride, he fell into the very sin that he said he would never commit. Pride goeth before a breaking, a shattering, a chastening for God's people, a haughty spirit before a fall. In Isaiah chapter 3, we read about the daughters of Zion in the days of Isaiah, the women of Jerusalem, who were proudly showing off their bodies to gain attention. And there was this prevalence of this sin in Jerusalem of the daughters of Zion prancing and dancing through the streets, scantily clad. And we read in Isaiah 3, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well-set hair, baldness. The men... In Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah were no better than the women. And in chapter 5 of Isaiah we read this about the haughty and proud men. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. Throughout the scriptures we see the truth of our text. Pride goes before a breaking, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a fall in our lives too. Pride that is allowed to exist in our hearts, pride that we do not repent of and fight against, Pride that ensnares us so that we become more and more proud in our lives goes before destruction. If we are God's elect and beloved children, he will break us if we become proud. He may break us with a sickness or an injury. He may break us by sending failure and disappointment into our lives. He may break us by sending shame and humiliation so that in the very areas of our lives where we once boasted that we were so strong and so rich and so mighty and so intelligent, 
It is in that place that God will humble us and bring us down. If we have an inflated ego and an inflated view of ourselves, God will pop that bubble and he will cause us to fall. He will humble us as a loving father. See, that's why God sends a fall into our lives if we are impenitently proud. He does it to humble us. God can cause us to fall not only as individuals, but also as a church and even as a denomination. If we think that as a church we are better than other churches, that we are the best, that we can do no wrong, that there are no errors in our thinking, that all the errors are out there, certainly there are no errors in here, that we are the ones who walk in righteousness, that we are the ones who have the right doctrine and the right praxis or way of life. And it's the evils and the immorality is all in the world or in the false churches. Then that pride might be going before a fall. God chastens whom he loves. In fact, many of us believe that God is doing this very thing in our churches right now. Pride has characterized us as churches. Not everyone sees that. Not everyone is so convinced of that. That's all right. But as one who grew up, grew up in these churches, who grew up in West Michigan, in the Protestant Reformed churches, it is my conviction that there has been a lot of pride, too much pride, ongoing pride, spiritual pride, We're the best. No, we never said it in those words. We always said, we are the purest manifestation of the church, as far as we know, on this earth. And we were always told that was a proper way of thinking, and perhaps it is. But it's also a way of thinking that can lead one very, very easily into the thought that we are the best. Because that's our sinful nature. Why would I be a member of this church if it wasn't the best? I need to be a member of the best church, and that's pride. For a long time, we have thought that our theologians were the best theologians, our theology, the best theology, our books, our magazines, our writings. We have thought that there couldn't be gross heresies and errors lurking in our midst. We're a true church. In fact, we're the purest of all the churches. That just couldn't be. It couldn't be that there are secret, gross sins, even sexual abuse and spousal abuse lurking among us. That just couldn't be. And that was pride on our part. And because of this pride that has manifested itself in many ways, those are just a few examples, God is chastening us. Now there are some, those who have gone out from our denomination, who when they look at the troubles that we've experienced, they say, you see, God is punishing them, God is judging them, he's casting them down to hell. And that's a lie. 
Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There's a difference between punishment and chastening. God punishes the ungodly. He punishes the wicked whom he hates. He casts them down to destruction. But he chastens those whom he loves. We should be thankful to God that he's chastening us. If we're not thankful, that might indicate that our pride hasn't been broken down yet. Chastening is good. When we were little children, we sometimes boasted in the home. We would boast about our achievements and boast about all kinds of things. And if our parents were wise, they found ways to humble us. And sometimes that meant chastening us, disciplining us, making sure that we understood that all that we have, we've been given. And that's what God does with us as well chastens us. He's teaching us in these times, these past few years, through the loss of hundreds and hundreds of former members of our denomination, so that the number reaches almost a thousand who have now gone out from the PRCA. He's teaching us through these troubles, these chastenings, that we still have much to learn. We have to listen to others, too. And we can learn from others. God is not saying to us in these times, you have to break down all of your convictions. You have to throw away all of your convictions. It's wrong to have convictions. It's proud to have convictions. Some people almost seem to view it that way. That's not true. Convictions are not pride. No, God is saying, have those convictions with humility. Have a humble orthodoxy, not a proud orthodoxy, which is a constant realization that although we believe our doctrine is true and orthodox and biblical, we also realize that we might have mistakes in our thinking, in our hearts, in our minds, and even in the minds of our greatest theologians. There has to be a constant recognition of that. Pride goes before destruction. Not necessarily eternal destruction, but a breaking, a shattering of our pride and a humbling through chastenings. But it is true that pride also goes before eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they fell into death, eternal death. And our pride deserves that. Every single prideful thought that we have ever had deserves that. But God in his wonderful mercy has sent his son into this world. His son, who was never proud, humbled himself He humbled himself to take on the form of a man, the form of a servant. And he humbled himself farther and farther and farther to the deepest reproach of hell, to the shame of the cross. Yes, pride always goes before destruction, eternal destruction. But your pride and my pride 
went before destruction for Christ and not for us. Our pride went before Christ's fall. He fell. He took the fall that we deserve on the cross. He plunged himself willingly under the waves and billows of God's wrath that we deserve because God hates pride. It's an abomination to him. And God punishes it, but he punished it in Christ, not in us. He punished Christ for our pride. He broke Christ to pieces on the cross. He shattered Christ on the cross and in the depths of hell. Christ is the one who fell for us. And Christ, who humbled himself to pay for our wicked pride, he comes to us and says, you follow me. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says, Before honor is humility. We all want honor, don't we? Of course we do. We don't want shame. We want honor. We want a good name. We want good reputation. But the scripture says, before honor is humility. God is leading us down the path of humility. It's a path that leads to honor. And in many, many passages, Christ said, in different contexts, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You want to be exalted? You want to be glorified in heaven? The way is the way of humility. The way is the way of following Christ who humbled himself for us to the death of the cross. Therefore, humility is always better. And that's how the text concludes in verse 19. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Again, that's the evaluation of faith. Our flesh thinks just the opposite. Better to divide the spoil with the proud than to be of a humble spirit with the lowly. Dividing the spoil means that you have been victorious in battle. You have conquered the enemy. And you have reaped to yourself the spoils of war. You have gained the booty. You have gained the riches. You have gained all the things that the enemy has lost through your defeating of him. Now, the text says, It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. But we tend to think, no, no, no. I want to be with those who have all the spoils. I want to be among those who are successful. I want to be among the rich. I want to be among the famous. I want to be among those who are able to live this life to the fullest. And if they're proud, well, so be it. If they're arrogant, I guess that's the price I'll have to pay. But the flesh says, so much better to have riches, even if you have to be among the proud of the earth, than to be poor, lowly, persecuted, and chased out of society. 
and to be among the humble. What is humility? The opposite of pride. Pride means I make myself a god and I exalt myself and I puff myself up and think I'm worthy of greatness. Humility is the opposite. I know I'm not a god. I'm a man. I'm a particle of dust. And I'm a sinner. Humility means as I abase myself, as I humble myself, I come to understand and to confess everything that I have has been given to me. My good looks, if I have them, my talents, my gifts, my riches, my husband, my wife, my family, all of my achievements, all of it has been given to me, all of my opportunities, all the doors God has opened. None of that can I take credit for and boast in it. It's the recognition spiritually that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I'm lower than the dust of the earth. I'm less than the dust of the earth. I'm worthy of eternal destruction. I have no righteousness of my own. I'm not better than them. I'm not better than them. I'm not better than the publicans out there or the Pharisees in here. I'm less than the least of all saints, Paul said. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's humility. Humility is a recognition that I am in desperate need of salvation through Christ. Faith means that I recognize I don't have it. I need Jesus. And humility means I also recognize about my church. We're not the best. We're less than the least. We are sinners just like other men. Sinners just like other Christians. We are a church that, like other churches, is constantly struggling against the forces of darkness of apostasy, of heresy, and of approving of ungodly lifestyles. Humility means we recognize as a denomination we're just as prone to halt and stumble as every other church. And when we do recognize by faith the gospel is here, that's why I'm in this church. The marks of a true church. I see them here. It's not that this church is the best. It's that God in his grace and mercy is clearly providing the gospel in this church or in this denomination. And in humility, I'm thankful for that. And I will never leave this church as long as I am receiving that pure gospel of Christ. Isn't that the proper attitude about our church? The proverb says, It is better to me among the lowly than among the proud. Better to be humble, always, and to be among the lowly. So the text warns us, and I conclude with these three passages of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, 
Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 1 Peter 5, 5-6, Let us be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And Philippians 2, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. For this mind was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, humbled himself to the death of the cross. Think of that old hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we are proud, we confess it. We have been proud. And we still have pride in us. Thou alone art perfectly righteous and worthy of praise. Thou alone, be thou alone exalted above the heavens. We pray, Lord, that thou would humble us through the preaching and also through the chastenings that we experience. That we would come to a proper humility concerning ourselves and concerning our churches. And we pray, Father, that thou would not forsake us in these challenging times in which we have gone through, but we pray that thou would chasten and restore, that through the way of humility thou would restore honor, that abasing ourselves thou would exalt us. And we pray that we would love the church not because we think that we are the best, but because the church, as our mother, shows us our sin and our need for Christ Jesus. So lead us again to Christ, and as we behold his cross, help us 